0: You know, I want to tell you guys something. I'm afraid. I'm afraid I won't say what God wants me to say. That's where our fear should be. That we don't do what God asks us to do. And not because God is going to curse us, but because He knows better than us the consequences of living a life outside of His will. And He knows the natural results of following sin and experiencing and engaging in sin, and it does not lead to happiness or holiness. It is a fearful thing to live a life apart from what the Bible tells us to. Amen? And so we want to hear what God has for us this morning. Amen? Amen. I know that Jesus, again, has something very special for you guys. And, you know, I want to say this. When it comes to uh, uh, talking about uh, these These topics that we've been kind of hitting over the last year, I really believe God is calling our church to be more of a family church. Amen? Amen. Our Sabbath schools that minister to our young people and to those who are not so young are very important to God. In fact, and I mentioned this last time when I preached, that when it came to the qualifications of the elders, the question was not asked do they know how to give good offering calls? Do they know how to sing? The question that's asked is, do they know how to run a home? How are they with their wives? Because God intended the church to be family-oriented. Because that's what heaven is all about. Amen? In fact, when you study John chapter 13, John chapter 15, and all the way into John chapter 17, you'll see that Jesus first called his disciples servants. And then you find out that he calls his disciples disciples. And then he calls his disciples brethren and he's leading them to understand something that they're more than just mere servants and followers of God they are sons and daughters of God can you say amen to that and this is what this church is all about we believe that God is calling for the family model the biblical family model to be restored can you say amen to that and here's the thing A lot of times, and I want to say this because I mean this, a lot of times when it comes down to speaking about what the Bible has to say about women and uh, uh, the various ways they should live their life, a lot of women feel resent. A lot of women will read things like Proverbs chapter 31 and they'll feel resentment. A lot of times they'll read things like Adventist home and there's a resentment, a bitterness there. And here's the reason why. Why? because they're so crowded with so many things that they have to do, and then feeling that their worth is based upon all these other things that they have to readjust their life into, oftentimes when they're looking at what God tells us them to do, there can be this bitterness there. Folks, I want you to understand something, and especially the women. Your worth comes from Jesus. Amen? Your worth comes from Jesus, not what you do, but what Jesus did for you. Amen. Amen? Here's the thing we need to understand when it comes to Christianity, something that's very interesting about the system of Christianity that makes it different from the rest of the world is this the rest of the world basically teaches that life precedes love, the way you live your life will be determining the love that you will receive. But with Christianity, with what the Bible teaches, love precedes life. God shows you His love, and from that, that is where the changes take place. Folks, I want you to understand, you don't do good works to cause grace to happen in your life. Good works happen as a result of grace. Amen? You don't do the right things in the Bible because it earns God's love. They are not the cause of God's love, but they're the result of God's love. Can you say amen to that? And folks, when we're looking at what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 31, when we're studying out various other topics when it comes to this issue, I want you guys to understand that your worth comes solely from Jesus. Can you say amen to that? And from there is how you take these principles and you inculcate it into your life because you realize what Jesus has done for you. And folks, when God gives us these principles, never forget this. There is nobody who wants your happiness more than God. Do you hear what I just said? There is nobody who wants your happiness more than God, not even you. God wants your happiness more than you do. And when he gives us these principles in the Bibles, when he gives us these things in this Bible, he is seeking our happiness. He is seeking our holiness and our entrance into heaven. And folks, this is why we take these things that the Bible teaches and we put it into our lives. Amen? Because of what God has done. Don't ever forget that, ladies, especially you, that you have a Savior who loves you more than anything in this world, and there's no one who understands your heart better than the Creator Himself. Can you say amen to that? All right, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, and let's come to Jesus humbly right now because we want Him to speak to us. Amen? Father in heaven, Lord, sometimes we forget that You are the King of the universe. In Your closeness and Your intimacy with us, God... Sometimes we forget that you are the creator of all life. Father, we just thank you so much that sinful people like us can stand in the presence of God because of Jesus. Lord, we want to pray and ask that our hearts would be humble and open to accept the messages that you have for us. The message this morning, God, because we believe that you are calling your people to return back to the great calling that you have placed upon our lives. Father, we pray that we would not be hurt, we would not be insulted, we would not put up the the pride, Lord, when you are ministering to us. But Jesus, we pray that we would be open to receive what the Spirit has. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to read you something very interesting, and uh, I really believe that this is going to be exciting. I mentioned this, uh, uh, I think, about a year ago. I talked about the differences between men and women. Now, I'm going to show you something that's very similar to that, and this was by a, a medical website, and this is what it says, okay? The 10 differences between men and women. Are you ready for this one? All right. We'll keep a scorecard. Here we go. Human relationships is the category. Women tend to communicate more effectively than men, focusing on how to create a solution that works for the group, talking through issues, and utilizes nonverbal cues such as tone, emotion, and empathy, whereas men tend to be more task-oriented, less talkative, and more isolated. Point number one for women. Zero for men. Left brain, both versus both hemispheres. Men tend to process better in the less left hemisphere of the brain, while men, women tend to process equally well between the two hemispheres. That's another point for the women. Don't worry, men. Mathematical abilities. An area of the brain called the IPL is typically significantly larger in men. Amen. especially on the left side, than in women. This section of the brain is thought to control mental mathematical ability and probably explains why men frequently perform higher mathematical tasks than do women. So we have two versus one. All right, let's keep going. Reaction to stress. Men tend to have a fight-or-flight response to a stress situation, while women tend to approach these situations with a tend or befriend strategy. Which one goes there? Who gets that point? By blah, 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 we won't give it to anybody. OK? <laughs> language. Two sections of the brain responsible for language were found to be larger in women than men. Indicating one reason why women typically, typically excel in language-based subjects and in language-associated thinking. OK? emotions women typically have a larger deep limbic system than men which allows them to be more in touch with their feelings and better able to express them which promotes bonding with others <laughs> brain size typically men's brains are 11 to 12% bigger than women's brain the size difference has absolutely nothing to do with intelligence (laughs) I think men are in the negative now (laughs) pain men and women perceive pain differently in studies women require more morphine than men to reach the same level of pain reduction women are also likely to vocalize their pain and seek treatment for their pain than men. The area of the brain that is activated during pain is the, I'm a good whatever. And researchers have discovered that in men, the right, whatever term that is called, is activated. And in women, the left side of it is activated. Okay, we'll go to the next one. Spatial ability. Men typically have stronger spatial abilities or being able to mentally represent a shape and its dynamics whereas women typically struggle in this area. It's one point for men. (laughs) Susceptibility to disorders. Because of the way that men and women use both hemispheres of the brain differently, there are some disorders that men and women are susceptible to in different ways. Men are more apt to have dyslexia or other language problems. If women have dyslexia, they are more likely to compensate for it. Women, on the other hand, are more susceptible to mood disorders such as depression and anxiety. While handedness is not a disorder, these brain tendencies also explain why more men are left-handed than women. This is very interesting. You see that there's a a difference with uh, men and women, not just emotionally, but physically. I mean, when it comes to women, we're dealing with a different animal here. Okay, and it, it requires more than just sort of what I have to say or what any man says, we need the creator of the universe to give us instruction. Amen? The one who created the heart of the woman knows best how to instruct them. Can you say amen to that? And I'll tell you this. While I may be limited in my experience, you know, I grew up with my mom and my dad worked two jobs, so he's always out of the house. I had three older sisters, and so I was constantly surrounded by women. But here's the thing. The best place to learn about women... It's from the Word of God. Amen? Like I said before, this is the manual to understand. This is the manual to understand. All right, when it came down to women, I want you guys to see that Jesus did something very special to women. He uplifted them from the degradation of society. Society had rewritten the role of a woman. Jesus came to restore the image of God in women. Those who were seen as outcasts, Jesus lifted them up. Women who were, who were brokenhearted because their children had died, Jesus comforted them. Even his own mom, he took care of in a very special way. Folks, Jesus treated women better than anybody ever treated them. Amen? And we need to understand this. Some people look at the Bible as being sexist. In fact, it's completely opposite. Jesus came to restore the dignity of a woman. Can you say amen to that? And this is why it's very important to understand what Jesus has for us, because he understands you. He truly understands you. And I want you to see, in the Bible, you'll see some very interesting steps. Remember that sermon I did about the men, beers, bullets, and bellies? Uh, What were the steps that are listed in the Bible? What was that first stage cause that a male goes through? Boyhood. Okay, boyhood. They're in boyhood. Now what's the next step? Adolescents. although it wasn't biblical, it was inserted after the 1940s, and then what? Men, and then what? There was, uh-uh. There was the mentor slash father, and then there was the? <laughs> there was the patriarch, right. Very good. I also, you know, in doing some research, I found out that, that there's actually a structure for women. There's actually a biblical structure for women. The components are all there. Some of them overlap, but the components are all there. Are you ready for this one? Here it is. You see what the Bible calls as the handmaiden of the Lord, the virtuous wife, the godly mother, and then the matriarch, or another word maybe a mother in Israel. But you do see this structure existing in the Scripture. As God has a plan for men, He has a plan for women as well. And we're going to go over some of these components, and you're going to see how biblical this is, and you're going to see what God's ideal for you is. Now when God presents the ideal in scripture, it's not for you to be discouraged. It's not for you to look at and say, well, that's something I'll never be. Folks, God presents the ideal because he wants to show you what you can be through his power. Can you say amen to that? God wants to help you. And so we're gonna take a good look at these components, the handmaiden of the Lord, the virtuous wife, the godly mother, and the matriarch. The first thing we're gonna take a good look at is the handmaiden of the Lord. This is a stage where a a female is going from being a child and becoming a full-fledged woman. She's increasingly surrounded by influences and pressures. Her identity is caught up many times with her friends, her peers. And she is going through some unique developments in her life. But this is a very special time in that singlehood that God is calling for these young ladies to be completely His. His. In fact, when you read the scripture, you'll find out that God actually called somebody to be a handmaiden. Look what the Bible says about Mary. Mary said this after God spoke to her, well before she was married to Joseph, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, he's going to overshadow you, overshadow you, and you're going to conceive a child, and this child will be the savior of this entire world. Can you imagine that? Imagine if you were given such a calling. But you want to know why she was given that calling? Because pay attention to her attitude. And Mary said, behold the what? Handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. Folks, at a young age, women need to understand something. They need to learn to be holy gods. Sometimes we think, okay, they just need to get a boyfriend, they just need to get out into the world, they need to experience life. Wrong. Sometimes when you have that attitude, young women don't come back from the world. They don't come back from the world. And oftentimes we'll hear testimonies of people who went into the world and came back, but that's the exception to the rule. That is not the norm. Sin is not something we play with. It is dangerous. It is dangerous. But Mary had an attitude about her that young women need to have too. Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. The word handmaid actually means, it comes from the Greek word doulos, which means slave or bondservant. Slave to no man, but a slave to God. And by the way, do you know where else the word handmaiden is also mentioned? It has prophetic significance too. Joel chapter 2. Who knows what Joel chapter 2 is about? What's Joel chapter 2 about? The latter rain. And you know what God says? He will pour out his spirit upon his male servants and his handmaids. People who have this attitude will be recipients of the Holy Spirit. And folks, it's not just about elderly people who pray in church or women who pray in church. It's about even young women who can pray in church and receive the Holy Spirit too. Can you say amen to that? This is the attitude young women need to take. I belong to God. My life is in his hands. My worth is found in Jesus Christ. In fact, look what Ellen White says right here. Actually, I think this is what... Yes, this is what it says. Look what she says in Child Guidance. Girls should be taught that the true charm of womanliness is not alone in beauty of form or in feature, nor in the possession of accomplishments. And we understand when it comes to women, things that are very important to them are two things. Number one, accomplishments and relationships. But their worth comes from Jesus. And when they understand that, they won't look at the requirements of God as something being tedious and something to feel bitter about. It will be a joy to follow the ways of God. Now look what else she says right here nor in the possession of accomplishments, but in a meek and quiet spirit, in patience, generosity, kindness, and a willingness to do and to suffer for others. They should be taught to work, to study for some purpose, to live for some object, to trust in God and fear Him, and to respect their parents. Then as they advance in years, they will grow more pure-minded, self-reliant, and beloved, beloved. It will be impossible to degrade such a woman. Can you say amen to that? She will escape the temptations and the trials that have been the ruin of so many. Teaching young girls to do this. Folks, I want you to understand. Either you can say, Well, this, I'm just gonna let media, media train my child. Then don't be surprised that as soon as they turn 18, they are out of this church. Don't be surprised by it. If you leave it up to somebody else to take care of your children, don't be surprised by the results. And man, I want to say something to you. Amen. Amen. You should be very concerned with who takes your daughter out. You should be very concerned about that. Very concerned. I'm reading constantly in newspapers about 16-year-olds who are getting pregnant, 15-year-olds, and even in England, a 13-year-old. You know where it took place? Somebody who just let his daughter go out with somebody. Folks, men, and this is something very true, you have a, uh, say you had a Ferrari, right, In in front of your house and a young man comes up there and says, I would love to drive this Ferrari. You would say, you are not allowed within 10 feet of this car. Now, let me ask you a question. Is your daughter worth more or less than that Ferrari? What's worth more? That car or your daughter? You should be interested in your daughter. You should be very interested. Folks, we are now living in a day and age that is very dangerous for young women. And it's very important that you start instructing them how to be faithful to God, how to be independent, how to be strong for the Lord. Can you say amen to that? Safety is no longer a, a word that's used for our schools, for our churches even. Because of the the problem of what's happening in this world. You don't find a lot of safe places for women anymore. But I praise God for the, the work the school has done to redouble their security and their instruction with their teachers. With our church environment, we fingerprint everybody. If you're involved in leading out a ministry with kids, we're fingerprinting you. Because the purity of that child matters to this church, but it matters to God. Can you say amen to that? Folks, I want you to understand this. It is extremely important that young ladies are not educated by this world, that they are educated by you. Amen? Now take a good look at some of the things she says to educate them on. They should be taught to work. They should be to to study some purpose, to live for some object, to trust in God, to fear Him, and to respect their parents. These things are extremely important to teach young ladies. And folks... If you allow somebody else to do it, like I said, don't be surprised at the consequences. Another aspect that women should be, young ladies should be taught is this. Look what the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6. Your godly lives will speak to them better than words. They should be won over your, they should be won over by your beauty. They should... They will be won over your... They will won, They will be won over. Your beauty should not come from outward. Something's wrong right there, so... Uh, but anyways, such as broided hair and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now watch the premise that's given in support of this claim. Paul is saying, or Peter is saying, and Paul makes something very similar. Peter is saying... The claim is that women should really seek an inward adornment more than an outward adornment. Now watch what his evidence is to use to support that. That is the way the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. Folks, do you believe that God loves beauty, yes or no? Absolutely. But you know what principle he gives us in a sinful world to moderate beauty? Modesty. Modesty. He gives us the principle of modesty. And it keeps us in line with God's will. Now I'm going to ask you a question. What is your definition of modesty? Purity, Purity okay. Anybody else? Trust. Trust. Does anybody have a sentence when it comes to modesty? Someone say it? Conservative dress. Okay, is there anything else to modesty? Let somebody be focused on the the inside, not the outside. Now I'm going to read you the principle. I'm going to read you a, a guideline of modesty set forth by a particular church. Here it is. You're going to love this one. You're going to love it. Modesty. It's an attitude of propriety and decency in dress. Grooming, language, and behavior. If we are modest, we will not draw undue attention to ourselves. Instead, we will seek to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. And you know where that comes from? It comes from the, the Church of Latter-day Saints. Very interesting. Modesty should, should be a principle that is taught to young ladies at a very early age. That Modesty is beautiful. Amen? We are, it's not this idea of just revealing yourself. In fact, look what else is said right here. I'm gonna actually read you questions about modesty because I know there's so many interpretation. In fact, I don't even trust that I'm able to actually define modesty myself. So what I did is I went to Nancy Day Lamas, I think that's her name, and she is a well-known women author, and she's sometimes on KDV. And this woman has done many seminars. She's not an Adventist, but she says, when it comes to modesty, here are several questions to ask yourself. Are you ready for this? All right, someone turned the heat up already. Okay, here it is. Questions to ask yourself regarding modesty. Question number one. Is there writing or picture on my clothing that emphasizes private parts of my body? Question number two. If someone were to look at me, where would their eyes naturally go? To my face, eyes, hips, thighs, or breast Where would their eyes naturally go if they were to look at me? Question number three. Where do I want men looking when I come into view? Question number four. Is the fabric that I'm wearing too sheer? By the way, this comes from a a woman, okay? Ready for the next question? Can someone see through? Can someone... See through it to the private parts of my body? Am I wearing tight, form fitting clothes? Do my pants fit correctly? Are my pants too tight? Do they cling to the hips, thighs, etc.? Am I wearing anything provocative? Folks, I want you to understand these principles come from a woman who has studied out the concept of modesty. I want to challenge you to check out her website. But modesty is something that the Bible teaches. It is a principle that women should inculcate into their lives in their wardrobes and should be taught to young ladies. You should seek after modesty and purity, the inward adornment. Don't let the world educate you. Don't let Lady Gaga or Britney Spears educate your daughters. Can you say amen to that? Otherwise, this is the example that they're going to have, and this is what they're going to follow. Folks, the Bible teaches the principle of modesty. Can you say amen to that? God is showing us the best way to teach our young people. And if our young women are taught this at an early age, you will be blessed by what takes place. Can you say amen to that? Now, when it comes to going into the stage of the virtuous wife, A lot of young women have questions about, wait a second, I'm to go into the next stage of being a wife one day. What are some of the things that I look forward or look for in a godly man? Here's the thing I want to tell you. I was going to state some of the things that the Spirit of Prophecy states when it comes to looking for a godly husband, but I said, no, that's too easy. So what I did is I took the other quotation where she talks about this is what men should look for. Do you see what I'm doing here? In other words, before finding the godly person, you ought to be the godly person. Before, before finding the right person, you should be the right person. All right, here it goes. Let a young man seek one to stand by his side who is fitted to bear her share of life's burdens. One whose influence will ennoble and refine him and who will make him happy in her love. Here are things that should be considered. Will the one you marry bring happiness to your home? Is she an economist? Or will she, if married, not only use all of her earnings, but all of yours to gratify a vanity? A love of appearance. Are her principles correct in this direction? Has she anything now to depend upon? These are not questions that women should be asking about a guy, but these are questions that women should be asking about themselves. Amen? Folks, these are things to consider. These are things to teach young ladies. To be strong. To learn to be independent. To learn to trust the Lord. To learn not to be dependent upon another man. But learning to become the person that God's called them to be. These are practical principles. Can you say amen to that? Folks, we need to educate our kids like never before. This is very important because in a few years they're going to be the ones that are leading this church. They're the future. And if you teach them right, the future will be right. Can you say amen to that? Well look what else she says. In your choice of a wife, study her what? Character. Will she be one who will be patient and painstaking? Or will she cease to care for your mother and father at the very time when they need a strong son to lean upon? And will she withdraw him from their society to carry out her plans and to suit her own pleasure and to leave the father and mother who instead of gaining an affectionate daughter will have lost a son? Lost a son. Folks, it's very important how we strong. We instruct our young women. Can you say amen to that? Very important. Going into the stage of the virtuous wife, this is a stage where that young woman now enters into a time of of being married. Now notice it doesn't say vicious knife, it says virtuous wife. Amen? And this is going to be a time for us to take a good look at Proverbs chapter 31, so take your Bible and go there. And by the way, does anybody know what the word virtuous means? Who knows what the word virtuous means? It means power. A powerful woman. Who can find a powerful woman is what Proverbs chapter 31 is saying. And by the way, this is for all the Bible students right here. There's only one other person in all the entire Bible who is called a virtuous woman. Who knows who it is? Who? There's only one other person in all scripture who is called a virtuous woman. She's not called virtuous. Who knows? Mary wasn't called virtuous. She was called blessed. There's only one other person in all of Scripture who was called virtuous. Ready? Ruth. She's the only other person in all of Scripture who was called virtuous. You know why? Because she fits everything found in Proverbs chapter 31. She fits those characteristics. And let's take a good look at Proverbs chapter 31 to understand more of the role of a married woman, a virtuous wife. Proverbs chapter 31, are we all there? All right, we're going to take a good look at some of the the, uh, things that are laid out in scripture for us. Proverbs chapter 31. And by the way, I really believe Proverbs chapter 31 is about the woman Solomon never had. Close to a thousand different women in his life. At the end of the day, he was like, But let me tell you about somebody who had truly made me happy. And what you find in Proverbs chapter 31 is what many theologians believe the woman that Solomon realized too late, who ultimately could have made him happy. Not these princesses, not these beautiful daughters of Pharaoh. And what you find in Proverbs chapter 31 is what the Bible lays out about a virtuous wife. Let's go there. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. Proverbs chapter 31, starting with verse 10. Now watch what the Bible says right here. Who can find a what? Yes, yeah, Solomon's asking the question, where in the world can you find somebody like that? You know why? Because it's a rarity. It's a rarity. Solomon, who was filled with the wisdom of this world, asked that question, You know what, where am I going to find a virtuous wife? I have all these other women in my life, but let me tell you, none of them are virtuous. Where am I going to find a virtuous wife? And so what he begins to describe in Proverbs chapter 31 is the virtuous wife. Now, we're not going to be able to cover all of it, you know, since, you know, this sermon is more broad than it is specific, but we're going to be able to hone in on a few key points about a virtuous wife. I think you'll be very blessed by this study, okay? Proverbs chapter 31, take a good look at verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. She's far above rubies. Any worth, any diamond, any mineral, any gem that's found on earth, she is worth more than that. Now watch what happens. The heart of her husband safely, what? Now why would Solomon state that as one of the very first characteristics of a virtuous wife? because maybe some of his wives weren't like that. They weren't Jewish. They didn't have the principles of God in their lives. You know what the first thing he states about a virtuous wife? The heart of her husband safely trusts her. You know what that tells us about the characteristic of a virtuous wife? She's somebody who the husband doesn't have to worry about when she's out of the house. And this is not talking about how she spends or what she does. But he's trusting her that she is not going to betray his love. Folks, again, I want to say this. We're living in a day and age where it's not just men that are cheating upon their spouses. It is women. And God is calling us to be faithful. Some of us have probably made some big mistakes in our lives. But guess what? God forgives. Amen? But he calls us to do what's right. Women, if someone is not your husband, and you're married, you should not be flirting with any other man. Amen? I know we need to be a little bit more careful about this subject, but I want to say this again. If you are married, you should not be flirting with somebody who is not your husband. In fact, guys won't ever tell you this, by the way. You ready for this? Here's something that guys won't tell you, women. They actually get jealous when you start talking about other guys in front of them. I'm not just talking about just mentioning somebody's name, but when you actually start exalting another man in front of them. And they will never admit that to you, by the way. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. I did a... uh, Where's Jeremy? Jeremy, raise your hand. Jeremy? I did a Bible study with Jeremy. Jeremy, I'm going to embarrass you right now. And uh, Jeremy said something funny, and so I I didn't ask him about this, so um, I'll have to apologize to you later. But we're doing a Bible study, and we're reading about the Ten Commandments, how it says in the first commandment, the Lord our God is a jealous God, and he looks at me, he's like, I like that. I like God's jealous, yeah, yeah. I just chuckled in my heart. But here's the thing I want you to understand, women. Make sure you have the trust of your husband. That is who you are married for. That is who you are married to. And like Ellen White says, that union will not only affect you in this life, but the life to come. When you made a commitment to be married to somebody, you have bounded yourself to that person. And it's important that they be able to trust you. That they know that when you're not away from them, that you're not going to be calling up other guys to find emotional support. That, yeah, will find it from you or they'll find it from one of their other sisters but they will not go to another man. Folks, this is a time and age where people don't even recognize these boundaries anymore. You're married? That doesn't mean anything to me. They may see, you know, the, the, your marriage certificate even just posted on your shirt, and they'll say, that doesn't mean anything to me. You're still game. This is the day and age we're living in. But the first thing that's said about the virtuous wife is that her husband can trust her. Folks, the thing that women should seek after, that married women should seek after more than anything, is faithfulness to their husbands. Amen? Amen? And when you're faithful to God, you can be faithful to your husband more than anything. Amen? Now watch this. Go to verse 17. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. I've looked at it in different translations. I've tried to understand this. Do you know what it's saying about the virtuous woman? She works out. That's exactly what it is saying. I've checked different translations. She's strengthening her arm. You know what this woman is doing? She is staying fit for her husband, fit for her family. Sometimes we think, okay, as long as I'm, I, got, I got the hook, I'm married, I'm just going to let it all go out now. There's no need to exercise. But you know what Ellen White says? I love what she says right here. Check this quote out. It's awesome. She says, don't make your appearance in such a way that you'll scare the crows away from the corn. <laughs> no joke. She actually says that. Check it out. Type in crows in your iPhone, Ellen White Estate, crows, and that, that quotation will come up. No joke. She actually says, when it comes to your husband, and to your children, she says, make sure you're not you know, appearing in such a way that you scare away these crows from the corn. Folks, it's important that women stay fit. Amen? You guys have a lot. You guys are bearing children. You're, you have a, you're doing a lot of things. So it's very important that women stay fit. That's part of the virtuous. Look, I didn't say it. The Bible did. Now watch this. Let's keep going. Go all the way to verse 22 and 23. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and what? Purple. Now you think this is talking about someone who can knit, right? Wrong. In fact, you only find those, those words, tapestry, purple, and fine linen, only in one place together. You will find it in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, describing the inner part of the sanctuary. You know what it is saying about this woman? That she's a sanctuary to her family. That when her family comes to her, they feel like they're in the presence of God. That there's a peace there. That if they're burdened, they can come to their mom and they can pray with their mom. Folks, the woman is a sanctuary for her family. Can you say amen to that? That's what the Bible is pointing out here. It is a symbol of what women are to be. Let's keep going. Go all the way to verse 30. Charm is deceitful. Amen? And beauty is passing. It's inevitable. As long as we live in this sinful world... But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Folks, let me ask you a good question. Do you have to have a virtuous husband to be a virtuous wife? We're not talking about people who are single, we're talking about people who are married. Do you have to have a virtuous husband to be a virtuous wife? Absolutely not. You can be a godly married woman and be with someone who's not godly. I'm not saying and actually seeking after someone who's not godly. I'm talking about people who are already in the situation. You can be even a godly mother and not have a godly family. Did you know that? Again, I want to make that very clear. We're not talking about people who are single and looking for somebody. You better make sure that that brother is a a converted Seventh-day Adventist. But we're talking about somebody who's already in the situation. Somebody who maybe came to the truth later on. You don't have to have a virtuous husband to be a virtuous wife. God calls you to be a virtuous wife no matter what. Can you say amen to that? Praise the Lord. Let's keep going. The godly mother. The godly mother. This is a stage when the the woman starts having children. Now I want to say this too. This is very important. You don't even have to have Children by birth to be a godly mother. Can you say amen to that? Guess what? There is a lot of children in this church, kids, who don't have godly mothers. And God calls you to be a godly mother. Can you say amen to that? Folks, if you're somebody who's out there instructing young children, you are at the place where God's heart is. Because God loves those children. God loves those children. Look what Ellen White says here in Adventist home. This is very important. Mothers, to a great degree, the destiny of your children rest in your hands. Do you realize what she's saying here? I mean, this is intense. Mothers, to a great degree, the destiny of your children rest in your hands. Rest in your hands. The way you mold a child and bring that child up will affect who that child will be and the impact that they will have on this world. Folks, you know what Ellen White says in the book Patriarchs and Prophets? She says that when Samuel gets to heaven, that he'll praise God and thank Jesus. And then she says he will then thank his mom for the lessons he learned from her. Mothers have a very special place in God's heart. Amen? Amen? I mean, there's something about women. I mean, it's not about the income. Amen? It's about the outcome. It's about the outcome. Mothers in Israel, God calls you to be godly. He calls you to instruct your children primarily first within the Word of God to know who Jesus is, to love the Lord, to understand and hear these stories of how God has been faithful in your life. And when they hear those stories, they're going to be strengthened because as they go out into life, they will remember the stories their mother told them. You know, John Newton, who wrote the book, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, when he was in that slave ship through that time of storm, he remembered his mother's lessons and he became converted because of that. Mother's lessons are never forgotten. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord for young children in church. Praise the Lord for young children in the church. In fact, if you want to see something very interesting in the Bible, when God gave instruction to mothers, you know one thing he told them to hone in on and to focus on? You ready for this one? This is the left hook right here. Their diet. Did you know that? When God gave instruction to mothers, one thing that was specifically pointed out many times was, be careful what you feed the child. Because the child's habits and what they learn are in effect... Will, will affect them later on in life. In fact, even the Bible talks about prenatal influences. You know that? Prenatal influences. In fact, look what the Bible says right here. Judges chapter 13, verse 4. This was a time to uh, Samson's mother. And look what the instruction I was given to her. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. And something to add a footnote to this is this. When Samson's mother and his father were told by the angel that they were going to have a child, you know what instruction they asked for? Samson's dad actually said this. This is very important. Don't miss this point. He actually said, What is the instruction concerning this child? Notice he didn't just say, What is the instruction for, for raising children? You know what I'm saying right now? That instruction of God needs to be specific. Per child. The Spirit of prophecy tells us to study the character of our children and learn how to work with them. Each child is different. God knew that Samson would be struggling with intemperance. With intemperance. Watch what else was the instruction given to the parent of somebody else who had a, a child that was filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall neither drink wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And did John the Baptist become what God had promised, if Elizabeth had followed through with the instruction? You better believe it. Jesus said, look, there was never a prophet like John the Baptist. Mothers, you should be concerned with what you're to feed your child. You should be In fact, take a good look at what's happening in this world right now. You look on every single corner. What do you find popping up? A Walgreens. What are they doing over there putting a CVS next to a Walgreens? I'll just tell you this. You go in there. You know what you'll see? Nobody in the store until you make your way to the back where the pharmacy is. And you know what you see? A line of people. You know what's happening in this world? People are getting sicker and sicker and sicker and they're turning to drugs as a way to remedy these problems. And guess what? It's not just the elderly that they're in lines. It is young kids with their mothers that are getting a lot of drugs for their, 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 their mind. And you know what's due to a lot of that? Is diet. Now, I know there's very legitimate cases. I don't in any way deny that. But take a good look at what this doctor said right here. And they had studied over 300 kids, just doing a sample study of over 300 kids, and look what they found in their diet because they found out that they were eating these very colorful cereals and these colorful foods, just very, just, just all these, like, rainbow-colored things, and they were just eating it every morning. Look what was taking place. What's clear from these studies in kids is that these unnecessary dyes are neuroactive. It means it affects their mind. Says Dr. David Walinga, director of the Food and Health Program at Minneapolis based Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, <gasps> which has been called for a ban on these dyes. Now, look what he says. They affect brain activity and behavior. In fact, did you know that England actually bans certain food dyes? Because they're aware of how much it affects young children, they actually ban it. But not here in America. You wanna know why? Because of big business. But guess what? You're in charge of your child's diet. If you don't know what to feed your kid, you pray and you ask Jesus, Lord, I don't know what the best diet is for my kid. God will show you. He gave these, this instruction to these women in Israel. He'll give you instruction. Yeah. Amen? And if you didn't raise up, weren't raised up learning these things, and like I said before, sometimes we'll look at these things and we'll say, God, I am so far away from that. How can that ever happen in me? That's what the gospel's all about. Amen? That's what the gospel is all about, that God can take who you are and make you into something even greater. Can you say amen to that? That's what the church is all about and helping in that process. And folks, we are bound to be a family church. Amen? Even if you don't like the person next to you. (laughs) Praise the Lord. We should like the people next to us. By the way, I only have one critique for this church. You ready? No one sits in the front row. (laughs) Okay, let's continue. Here we go. The matriarch. We went from the stages of the handmaiden of the Lord to the virtuous wife, to the godly mother, and now to the matriarch, the mother in Israel. The final stage before that that moment of uh, sweet release called death, it's called the matriarch stage. It is the stage where that woman has gone through trials and she has gone through difficulties, but she has learned to trust God through it all. She has seen kids come. She has raised up children. She has participated in the lives of her grandchildren. This woman is called the matriarch, a mother in Israel, because not only is she focused on her family, she's focused on the church too. Amen? Now I'm going to show you a very interesting matriarch. Take your Bible, go to Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. I want you to see this matriarch. Women... You should strive to be a matriarch in the church before the Lord comes back. If the Lord hasn't come back yet. Okay, very good. Verse 36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phananiel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, and she lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow about 84 years. Now pay attention to this. Who did not depart from the temple but serve God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord. She had seen the baby Jesus, and the Spirit told her, that's the Messiah. She saw it, and she just praised God. You know what? This woman, this matriarch, was in the place where God wanted her to be. She was trying to alert Israel that Jesus is coming back soon. That's what a matriarch does. She is focused not just on her, her own family, but the family of God. She is committed to the church. She has seen the trials of life and she has come to the ultimate realization. It is better to dwell in the house of the Lord than the tents of the wicked. She's committed. She's giving of herself, of her finances, of her time. She's building up God's cause. These years are years of faithfulness and trust. At the same time, she realizes her children have made egregious mistakes and errors in their life. They have strayed away from the Lord. But you know what this woman is doing, this matriarch? She is praying for this woman. She is praying for her children. She is fasting for her children to see that they will come back to the Lord and she will not stop. And like Jacob, she will wrestle with God and say, I will not let you go until you bless me, until my children are saved. Folks, this is what a matriarch is all about. Now, actually, the... The screen shut down, but I want to tell you this. Titus, actually, Titus chapter 2 tells us that older women, talking about matriarchs, should be involved in the instruction of younger women. Part of being a matriarch is that you are instructing younger women. Don't leave it up to the pastor. You don't know anything about it. (laughs) But older women, you do. This is not a time for judgment. This is not a time for criticizing. This is a time to take a young lady, a young woman who is struggling and say, I want to pray with you. I want to share with you my experience. I want to share with you what God did in my life through those times. And let me help you. This is what a matriarch is all about. There was one other woman in the Bible who was called the mother of Israel. It was Deborah. It was Deborah. And she led Israel into battle. That's the type of matriarch she was. Regardless of her age, she was out there. Folks, and I said this when it came to the patriarchs. For those who are older, you will come to one of two places in your life. Either at the the very end, you will be very bitter about life. Or you will be somebody who will praise God for the life you have. And your life will be one of joy. And you're somebody who is lovable and you're reaching out to people. You care about the women in this church. You're instructing them in the right way. This is what a matriarch is all about. Can you say amen to that? And I praise God again for our Sabbath school. We have matriarchs in our Sabbath schools who are are teaching young children how to love Jesus. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Folks, I want to make a very special call. This is something that Nancy Leigh-Demoss said, and she calls it the, the manifesto, a charge to women. And this is what she says. Now is the time for a movement of reformation and revival in the hearts and homes of Christian women all around the world. Now is the time to go against the flow. I believe that God has brought you into his kingdom for such a time as this. Teens, that means the willingness to follow Christ and His Word, when it seems that all other girls your age are consumed with beauty, guys, self, sex, and having a good time. It means putting your affections on Christ, guarding your heart, choosing the pathway of purity, and becoming a truth speaker in your generation when all your peers seem to be going in the opposite direction. Single women, that means choosing the pathway of contentment. It means being willing to be married or single, whichever God has for you. For His glory and the sake of His kingdom. It means using your singleness to serve the Lord without distraction. It means being willing to be sexually pure and to be a servant of the family of God. Married women, it's a call to be faithful in a world of broken promises. To love your husband, to pray for him, to build a marriage that glorifies God. It means being faithful in the good times and in the hard times. It means saying yes to your high and holy calling of being A helper to your husband, reverencing him as the scripture exhorts. Submitting to him as a picture of your submission to Christ himself. It means giving yourself wholeheartedly to your husband and saying no to emotional or physical intimacy with any other man. Mothers, that means embracing the calling and gift of being a giver and a nurturer of life. Don't let the world tell you how many or how you should guide your children. Let God give you his vision for the impact that your children and your grandchildren could make for his kingdom for generations to come. Do battle in prayer for the souls of your children and your grandchildren. Remember, it was two mothers who clung to Jesus in prayer. Remember those two stories? The parable of of the woman and the Syrophoenician woman who would not let go. They wouldn't let go. That's what godly mothers are all about. Older women, matriarchs, It means choosing not to retire spiritually. Don't settle for a life consumed by golf, bridge, meaningless activity, and preoccupation with self. Younger women need you, can you say amen to that? They need you to take them under your wings and to help them learn to live lives that please the Lord. Can you say amen to that? Folks, God is calling for his women to stand up, to stand against the flow. To become the women that God has called them to be. To be those daughters of Eve. Can you say amen to that? But Because when you make that decision, and you say, okay, God, I am standing up. I want to be a woman of God. I want to be a virtuous woman. And when you ask Jesus to do this transformation, he will begin the process. And set in motion these things that will lead you to become what God has called you to be. I love what Ellen White says. She says, it is God's will. That men and women be restored in the image of of God and he will not be defeated. Can you say amen to that? Folks, this is a call for women and men to encourage those women. This is a call for women. If God's calling you to, to stand up and say, you know what, I want to be a godly woman. I don't want to follow the world's plan. I want to follow God's plan. Folks, I want to invite you to come up. It's a big thing to stand up and say, you know what, I want to be a godly woman. I want you to come up here, and this is a call to all those women out there. doesn't matter how old you are, women. You can be a teen. You can be an old lady. God calls you to begin to be a godly person now. This is to charge you, all the women. And folks, men, you ought to be praying for these women right now. You ought to be praying that Jesus will touch their lives. There's a lot of broken women here. There's women here who need the touch of their Savior. There's women here who want to know that they have a Father in Heaven who loves them. This church is about community. Not just about nurturing others, but about being nurtured too. Folks, God is calling for women to stand up. Amen? It's Veterans Weekend, but guess what? Behind every great veteran is a great what? Great woman. Great woman. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's kneel. Let's kneel right now before our Savior. There's still time for you to come up. This change can only come from God. It's not a behavior modification. It is asking for a complete transformation of becoming the woman that God calls you to be. Father in heaven, I just thank you for these courageous, bold women who have stood up Say, I want to follow God. Lord, I just thank you for them. I praise God for our church, Lord. Praise you for these strong women. And Lord, you know Satan's attack on them has been strong. He has sought to break them emotionally and cripple their hearts. But Father, let them know right now that you have watched over them and you are sustaining them. God, I pray that you would bless them to become the virtuous women of the scriptures. That one day the patriarchs and matriarchs will look forward. When we get to heaven, they're going to be surprised at all these women who have been in the Lord's army. Lord, throughout the day, may they realize this special calling. that They are your daughters. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood and the worth you have placed upon their lives.